The Bible is the world's best-selling book every single year. So why does it need a reset? This is the very first episode of the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Goodwin, joined by my co-hosts Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell, and I uh, just want to say thank you for tuning into our first show. Today we're going to be discussing why we're doing this podcast, which is really kind of a microcosm of IFBR's mission as a whole. And it starts with some data about Bible reading trends in America. We're saturated with Bibles, but you guys found that there's a massive disconnect when it comes to actually reading them. Yes, I remember the time when I heard George Barna explain, and it was early in my time in Bible publishing, that Bibles are everywhere, that there is no shortage of distribution in the United States, particularly, but also in other places in the world, uh, oftentimes. But he said, there is a connection problem. And he caught my attention. And I thought, wow, I'm just getting started in Bible publishing. But apparently, the problem is not pumping out more Bibles alone, but making sure people have the help they need to connect with the Bible. So that was my introduction to the problem. Yeah. I think my first introduction actually came uh, through Gallup. And, you know, George Gallup actually started measuring these trends back in the, the mid-1980s. So we've got some good benchmarks. But, you know, he, he clearly established what you described, Alex, is that we have kind of a divergent trend line here, that the access is just skyrocketing. And, you know, in addition to the, that data that the average household owns four and a half Bibles, you know, amazing. We still sell in America 25 million new Bibles every year. So everybody and his brother has a Bible. And as somebody reminded us, if it was access that was the issue, we'd be living in kind of a spiritual utopia. And that's obviously not yeah. the case because the Bible reading line, you know, is in is in free fall. And, you know, if you extrapolate some of Gallup's numbers, it's like we've been losing 700 Bible readers a day um, since since the mid 1980s. Yeah. And truly shocking, we we were working with a business consultant um, who really didn't live in the Christian subculture, but he looked at these numbers too. And I remember in our meeting, he he stopped us and said, "You know, you guys, you realize this is an unmitigated disaster." that we're looking at here. And I'm working with Motorola and Unilever. And if in our company, we were looking at, you know, we're selling a bunch of these, but people don't like them, we would know that there was going to be going to face reality soon. And so you guys and every church leader in America really ought to be hitting the pause button and saying, we've got to fix this. And if we don't fix this, you know, we can be fixing other things. But um this this is priority number yeah. one. And and those Bible possession numbers, uh, four and a half Bibles per household in the U.S., um, I think all that data was really done before even some of these electronic Bibles, um, Bible apps and version and that sort of thing even kind of hit the market or, or came and, and got big. So it doesn't even count those, which are kind of ubiquitous. I think the Bible app has like over a billion downloads or something like that. So like you said, access really kind of, isn't too much, especially in the West, of a, of a problem anymore. It is strange to me how, you know, I've, I've been in the Bible publishing ministry world for 35 years now, and it's strange to me how this idea has taken hold that if you just get a Bible in people's hands, automatically 
like like there's some kind of magical transfer or something like people just are not focused on real engagement as if the problem really is just access that's a real thing out there yeah and glenn you you saw some other data not not gallup but can you talk about that data yeah so the reveal study was a major study of thousands of churches and church life um spiritual life among churchgoers and the interesting thing there is that 87% of the people who were asked said that's the number one thing they're looking for from their church is help in understanding the bible in depth and then the other side of that was only one in 5 said that the church was giving them the help that they were looking for so again it's it's a place where you know the church stands on the bible assumes the bible um talks a lot about the bible but actually isn't you know delivering the help that people say they're looking for in understanding the bible in depth and knowing what to do with it yeah it's it's pretty incriminating data uh, if we're honest and um i think honestly in in my experience I wouldn't call it altogether surprising. Like I, I go to church and I'm with real Christians, you know, devout Christians. They've, they've been going to church since Sunday school. And, um, it's, it seems like it's just kind of a widespread problem that people are struggling to engage. And so this data just kind of puts numbers to that, but we all know names and faces of people who, who are having a hard time with it. Yeah. And really you think about it, it's a strange thing. I mean, the Bible is central to the Christian story by anybody, right? Across any yeah. denomination, everybody would say, this is where we get our story. It's, it's how we know who we are, who Jesus is. And yet we take for granted that people know how to read this book well. Yep. Yeah, you know, I uh, I get a chance to travel around the country and talk to pastors on this subject. And one of the things that I say regularly to them that this reveal study, you know, which went out to 80,000 people across all yeah, denominational right. lines, so it's a landmark study. And, um, you know, I said, you know, really what happened in this study is that the people spoke. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, because they were given a bunch of other options. You know, it was, you know, what do you need most from your church? You know, better children's programming. That's huge today, right? And, you know, there were things like, you know, internal services like coffee shops and what have you, better bands, better music. Preaching. And yet, yeah, preaching. Exactly. That was on the list as well. And yet nine out of 10 people checked the box that says, help me understand the Bible in depth. It was really, really a stunning yeah. thing. As you say, Paul, the people have spoken. I mean, that's that's that 90 percent. Who gets 90 percent? That's amazing. Yep. And so I think I think the flip side of that reveal statistic with the, the 87 percent uh, needing help, only only one in five getting it as that there's not a desire problem there. There's, there's actually some energy in that gap. And, uh, really the monumental task isn't convincing people to want to read the Bible, but it's, it's closing that gap between the people that want to read it and, and that getting help, I guess, in reading it. Yeah. They're, they're looking, they're actively looking for that help. They have Bibles. Everybody has Bibles in the church, but they're looking for more help with what to do with it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And again, I think, uh, you know, comments that we've heard about the, the gap, which has kind of become famous and it's good. It's actually infamous. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, marketing people look at that and say, you know, this is a dream. Yep. You know, you, you have a felt need that's been clearly articulated by, you know, a massive number of people. There's there's the, the need isn't being met. And so if somebody can, you know, 
inject something into that gap. And it clearly can't be, you know, what we've done before, which is just beg people to be more faithful with their Bible reading. But if we inject something more honest, more genuine, more fresh, um, it has really amazing, you know, potential. It's, It's freighted with energy as one marketer said. And, uh, and when you guys kind of first came across this data, uh, you were actually in a position to do something about it actively. You weren't, you know, just curious lay people that were looking into Bible reading trends. You were, you're actually in the middle of the Bible publishing industry, uh, in influential roles in some of the, the most influential publishers, um, in the world, or at least in North America. So you see this this data, it's pretty incriminating about what you're doing day to day, um, you know, selling Bibles to people, creating Bibles. So what kind of action did you guys take on that? Yeah, it was so interesting. I was I was on the nonprofit side in the in the ministry world. So we were not a commercial publisher, but we started publishing our own ministry editions and our growth in the early 90s when I when I got into publishing, uh, our growth was unbelievable. We were just um, developing new Bibles. Uh, they were going out the door. And I thought, you know, you could just coast on that fact that people would buy our Bibles. Um, but but that Barna voice was in my head at this point, And I knew that we had to do something. So we started an alternate group to not just pump out Bibles and do the work of publishing, but to actually start examining the problem. One of the first things we found was that the form of the Bible is a very unusual thing. So the modern form of the chapter and verse Bible, um, we determined was becoming a problem that people couldn't read because it looks like a reference book. The other thing is that people didn't know how to put the different parts of the Bible together into a narrative. And so they were reading in bits and pieces rather than reading holistically. So we started going after those two big problems. Can we change the form of the Bible? And can we help people understand how all the parts fit together into a big story of God in the world. Yeah. And and really, we could probably devote, I don't know, half a dozen podcasts uh, just strictly to the history of the form of the Bible and that sort of yeah, stuff. And, absolutely. and we'll be getting to, into that in, in subsequent episodes. But it's it's something. Yeah, but I, oh, I, go ahead. Yeah, I, I would say this, though, that it's one of the things that we respect about Glenn and yeah, we'll we'll take this yeah. on in, in other podcasts. But Glenn and his team had the courage to actually look at a 400-year-old form and say uh, something something needs to change. And they, they took it on. And that's a, a story in and of itself, which we'll get into. Yeah, someday. I mean, just, just to say one thing about that, and that is, you know, when, when things are going well in sales, um, not everybody is thrilled when you start questioning the model. And so uh, there was there was a tense dynamic. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, Paul, was what was your experience? Yeah, you know, I was on the commercial side of things, and I was the publisher for you know the world's leading Bible publisher. And you know, we answered to our business owner in in New York City. And when I assumed this position, you know, we were selling about seven million Bibles a year. Uh, it was a flourishing business. It was kind of the cash cow for the company. And the word that came down to me was, don't screw it yeah. up. <laughs> um, but I, I began to have, I guess, what I would describe as a conscience of crisis. As crisis I, as of I conscience, got, yeah. yeah. Crisis of conscience as I kind of got under the hood. And one of the first things that we did is we did a survey and we asked people that were buying our 
study Bibles and our devotional Bibles about their experience. And what we discovered is that people were reading the notes. They were reading, you know, the sports devotionals and things like that. And the text, not so much. It was it was really a, a shocking thing. And then I, I I began to kind of question our whole strategy, which was to publish one niche Bible after another, after another. And, you know, people people would make fun of us. You know, what are you going to do next? The, you know, the left-handed dyslexic Bible, yeah. um, you know, and so forth. And I thought... Is that really kind of the Spirit's vision, you know, when when he gave us the gift of the word was that we would give everybody their own individual lens. Your teenagers, you have a lens. Women, you have your women's devotional lens and your women's study lens. And, you know, lenses can be good things, but they can also distort, yep. too. And so... Um, you know, all, all of that then kind of left me honestly flummoxed. What what do we do and what can we do without ruining the business? And then uh, I had we, we had kind of an injection into our lives. We were introduced to a, a man who had been an agnostic who had read through the entire Bible in three months. Wow. And he actually did it three times in, in a year. And it, it just revolutionized his life. And then he started inviting his friends to do the same thing. And they would have these, you know, conversations about it. And he came to us and said, you guys as a publisher ought to be doing that, helping people to read the Bible all the way through and gather, you know, in community. And, uh, you know, very few people in the company were excited about it, but we did it anyway. And it turned out to be remarkable. Churches grabbed hold of it and started doing it. It was really a crazy reading plan. Think about it seven days a week, about 15 pages a day. But it reinforced what we had heard from the reveal study, that there were these 87% and they were they were ready to be slightly heroic. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a really important point about being slightly heroic and people being willing to read. I think people doubt the truth of the 87% of the reveal study. I think you hear a lot of narratives today, like, look, in this day and age, you can't expect people to read. Yeah. And people don't read very much. And I think we've given up on reading the Bible in the church in many cases because we've given up on reading. And there's an opportunity for us to be appropriately countercultural. And we need to rediscover the truth that people are, in fact, hungry and willing to read a Bible that they understand and know what to do with. I think I think a lot of uh, Christian leaders and, and pastors um, are kind of maybe at their wits end a little bit trying to figure out how to get people into the Bible and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and so they end up kind of like when my dog needs a pill, you, you wrap it up <laughs> in a piece of bread. Right. So you you kind of have these clever ways of getting the Bible into people's lives without realizing that they, they kind of have more potential and, and ability than you give them credit for. So, um, so I think, I think the best way to kind of sum up what you guys did is Glenn, you really took a, a hard look at the form of the Bible and, and Paul, you really started experimenting with some practices and experiences and, and both of these kind of pilot projects, each in their own, uh, silos showed a, a good amount of promise. They were, they were kind of introducing people to new ways of engaging with the Bible and, and garnered a lot of good feedback from people that finally there some of these barriers were being broken down uh, that make it so difficult so 
we we started IFBR to kind of focus our attention on this uh, major reset that that these pilot programs kind of showed promise with. Can you guys talk about that a little bit and how how your initial forays into these uh, new experiences and formats kind of led to the creation of the Institute for Bible Reading? Sure. We uh, and and my side in the nonprofit world, we started experimenting with new formats, and we we did this short study of the history of the Bible as a book, as a communication medium, and yeah. discovered that all this stuff wasn't there at the beginning. And I realized, wow. Uh, I've been around the Bible my whole life, and I never knew the story of how the Bible came to be and the things we've done to the Bible, right? The church has done things to the Bible over the centuries, yeah. and they've accumulated into this modern book. And we realized, you know, there's a we kind of like took the blindfold off and said, there's a whole new Bible to be rediscovered. That is a different thing. And the new form is can be more honest, more authentic to the book that's really there. All the different literature that's in the Bible, songs and stories, um, wisdom literature, prophecy, apocalypse. Why not show them as the literature they are if you're asking people to read them? Um, we don't successfully invite people to read dictionaries and encyclopedias and reference books. So why would we think they would read a book that's basically made to look unreadable? So we yeah. went after that form idea and spent a lot of time actually discovering the books that are really there and what kind of form would appropriately show a proverb, a story, a song, et cetera, a letter, all the different things we see in the Bible. And then we started introducing people to the story. So at the beginning of every book, we put a five-act presentation of what the overall um, meta narrative of the Bible is the big story of the Bible, so that whenever they're reading the Bible, they would know where they are in the storyline and could start to make sense of the whole thing. And I think that's that's what had been missing uh, in Bible publishing was a sense of are we helping people understand what this whole story is about? Yeah, I love that. It's so important, and and some of the feedback we've gotten. Uh, from people that have purchased these new versions of the Bible, is just, <laughs> they they would have just bought a set of the book introductions and, and kind of the outside material that helps them kind of get their head around uh, what's going on in each book and what's going on in the biblical narrative as a whole. So it's it's super helpful for people. Yeah, I think at one point then uh, in our careers, um, you know, we began to realize that in the publishing world that we were in that we weren't going to be able to uh, help um, catalyze this major paradigm shift that we believe needs to take place. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, you know, with some trepidation, very frankly, we left our secure publishing positions in some way, and we formed the Institute for Bible Reading. We established a mission, which is to uh, change the way the world reads the Bible, which we realize is aspirational. We're not going to yep. change the world. We're not going to change it overnight. But but really, at least in the Christian world, uh, we need to change the way that we need the Bible. And we needed an organization that would be nimble enough to be able to do research, um, to create better to better Bibles, and then to do what we're doing right now, which is to begin to broadcast and educate, you know, this, this point of view. And to Glenn's point, then our first project here was to create a, a new cultural experience with the Bible, and it's called Immerse, and you can read about it uh, and look at it at immersebible.com. Uh, but a very 
different approach um, to to engaging uh, engaging the scriptures, and you know our belief, you know, with creating this new cultural artifact, if you will, yeah. is that um, if you want to change, you know you know, anything, you can only talk about it for so long. You actually have to create different experiences. And so, you know, now we are at the front end of, you know, hundreds of churches and hundreds of thousands of people that are experiencing the Bible in a new way. And the stories are starting to uh, to really kind of pour in right now. And they're, they're very exciting. And, uh, you know, just one example uh, amongst yeah. many, um, <clears throat> I was invited to a prison to meet with a group of about 300 men who are reading the immersed Messiah together. And the New Testament. The New yeah. Testament, exactly. And so, you know, I got a chance to just basically come in and listen to them talk about their experience. And there was one man who said, you know, in prison, quite honestly, we have a lot of time on our hands. And I've been a Bible reader for for many years, but he says, I have to tell you that this immerse experience has just really been transformative to me. And I'm, you know, getting more from the Bible than I ever have before. You're reading without chapters and verses, you know, it wasn't just a cosmetic thing. It changed the way I read. And then he made this statement. He said, you know, in prison, everything that we do is regulated. From the time that we get up in the morning, the time we eat lunch, the time that lights are out. And he says, I had this thought while I was reading a verse that we've been regulating the Bible with chapters and verses. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. now he said, the Bible has been set free. And, you know, coming out that. of this prison context, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I walked out on the clouds. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful coming from that perspective. I think it's important to say that, you know, the work of the Institute for Bible Reading, um, to, to have those kind of responses requires doing real due diligence on the front end. And so we like to call yeah. ourselves an activist think tank. And that means taking both sides of that seriously. I mean, I think a lot of the research on the Bible, frankly, yeah. has been superficial, not really getting at what people's experiences and what they do. We, we get numbers on, you know, um, literacy, Bible literacy, these little tests, um, strategies for reading and so forth, but not really helping people um, understand what's really going on. When they open a Bible outside of church, what is happening in that experience? And so one of the things we want to do is better research of understanding what's really happening, yep. better research to understand the best scholarship in the Bible world so that we can take the best thinking that's within the church and then translate that. We want to be a bridge organization into developing real resources. And this is the activist part. We want to, we want to change people's experiences. So there's a dual commitment to both research and learning as well as ministry and resources and, you know, the things that actually change people's lives in their experience with the Bible. So it's pretty encouraging, Paul, to hear the stories that you, you tell about the changes that are already happening. And I think, I think this, this is kind of a unique space that we're in because nobody else is really going after this problem. And we're, we're tackling it and believing the 87% that people are looking for help with the Bible. That's why we want to do a Bible reset. Yep. Yep. We've we've kind of spent a lot of time on this first episode uh, talking about ourselves, which I think is kind of rule number one 
for don't do this when you're when you're creating resources for people. But I think it, it lays the groundwork a little bit for what we're going to be trying to do on this podcast. Um, you know, immerse is kind of this tangible expression of our point of view, and you can give it to somebody with absolutely no context about what what all went into it, and, and they'll have a great experience, and they'll have. Um, a new experience that's that's fresh and they'll probably get into the text like never before. But there is a lot of work and thought and discovery that goes into creating a resource like that. And uh, and what we're going to be doing on this podcast is exploring a lot of those different topics and uh, and things that we're discovering along the way about uh, about what it re- means to read and and live the Bible well. So not every episode will be going into our history and and uh, kind of our general point of view on, on Bible reading, but uh, but we felt that it was necessary in this first one to kind of lay the groundwork and, and cast a vision for what we're hoping to do here. And uh, and we're looking forward to a lot of episodes in the future where, you know, we just dive into all these interesting topics that hopefully every single time you'll take away something that uh, that can improve your Bible reading. All right. Well, thanks to everybody who tuned in for our first episode. We're so glad you're able to join us. If you'd like to help others discover our show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider. And uh, you can find all of our episodes on thebiblereset.com, where there will be show notes and links and all that good stuff, as well as easy ways to share them with your friends. Finally, if you'd like to support our work, you can sign up to be a changemaker at instituteforbiblereading.org slash changemakers, which is our monthly community of supporters who have pledged 20 bucks or more per month to help us change the way the world reads the Bible. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you guys on the next one.